0: From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Nina Kim. Coming up on Forum, Democratic strategist and former Obama campaign manager David Plouffe is credited as the architect of President Obama's historic victories. Now we'll get his take on the 2020 campaign of Vice President Joe Biden, on how the pandemic has transformed the way a presidential race is run, and on the latest political news, including allegations of fraud and self-dealing at the NRA. David Pluff's new book is A Citizen's Guide to Beating Donald Trump. He joins us after this news. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. A Politico headline this week reads, Trump's campaign knocks on a million doors a week. Biden's knocks on zero. In other words, with three months to Election Day, the Democratic nominee has decided for now to forego a fundamental political tool in the face of COVID 19 door to door canvassing. Whether it will help or hurt Biden is a question we'll put to David Pluff, the former campaign manager behind Obama's historic 2008 victory, who was also responsible for Obama's reelection. In his book, A Citizen's Guide to Beating Donald Trump, Pluff writes November 3rd may well be the most important election day in American history. Welcome to Forum David Pluff. Hi, David Pluff. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Great. I can hear you now. And Sorry about that. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, well, appreciate having you on. And before we get to Biden, actually, I wanted to get your reaction to the news this morning that the New York Attorney General is moving to dissolve the National Rifle Association, alleging fraud and abuse. And, and also what you see is potential ramifications ahead of Election Day of this.
1: Well, I think it's a, a wonderful development from my point of view. Uh, what will be interesting to me, because, you know, this lawsuit, uh, and you're starting to see some other attorney generals also join with the New York attorney general, um, you know, is not about gun safety policy. It's about their own procedures, um, you know, corruption, financial mismanagement. Uh, but you're still going to see, I think, a lot of Republican politicians uh, defend that, you know. So that's what's interesting to me, um, you know, you would think that, you uh, that indefensible behavior—you've got people out there, um, you know, gun owners who are sending in, you know, five dollars a month or twenty-five dollars a year, you know, scraping that together, and yet it's clearly being mismanaged as the leadership there, uh, you know, engages in self-dealing and all sorts of corruption. So that'll be fascinating. Um, you know, I'm sure that Trump and some Republican Senate candidates will try and conflate this and say, this is just a backdoor way that they're coming after NRA, and so nothing short of the Second Amendment's on the ballot. You know, I, I don't. don't think that will be effective, but I think Democratic candidates are going to have to be mindful of that um, and do research and, and understand if that's moving voters or not. But I think the central driver in this election, a lot of important issues out there. You've got people on both sides of the gun issue, climate change, healthcare, which is, of course, connected to the pandemic. But I think the central question is, who do you trust to dig us out of the hole we're in? Uh, to ultimately uh, get a a vaccine distributed effectively, uh, to rebuild the economy, uh, to prepare for the next pandemic. And that's where I think Joe Biden has built a big lead because I think on that central question right now, uh, more people are comfortable with him than Donald Trump. But I'm sure you're gonna see a lot of, uh, you know, just watch Fox tonight. And because they don't want to talk about the coronavirus. They'll probably talk about this NRA. And they uh, they probably won't even mention that it's about corruption, you know, or it's about financial misdeeds. They'll just try and suggest that it's a politically motivated attack.
0: Um, well, yes. And as, as you're saying that you think Republicans, at least initially, will start to try to defend the NRA and see that as more of a winning strategy and maybe drumming up people who are pro-gun. But at the same time, I mean, the NRA is known for just fueling millions and millions of dollars in terms of campaign ads and voter guides. It releases grades on every candidate. I mean, do you see any of that being hampered now and that having a significant effect? Well,
1: that's an interesting question. You know, my view on the NRA work is it's gotten less effective through the years Hmm. because, um, you know, in the very beginning they were spending such a large amount of money compared to any other outside entity um, and had it really developed, uh, you know, data, you know, systems. They did a lot of online and offline work, a lot of radio, a lot of TV. You know, I think there's a lot of groups engaged in that now. I think Democratic candidates and progressive groups have gotten better about taking the fight to them. You know, my sense is some of the suburban swing that we've seen over the last four years uh, is driven uh, by a lot of suburban voters, a lot of, you know, suburban uh, moms, but dads as well, fed up with the school shootings and fed up by politicians in the pocket of the NRA. So uh, I think that um, their You know, 20 years ago, you know, when I worked in Iowa back in 1988 and 1990, um, you know, they were the most sophisticated actor in politics. I think a lot's changed since then. I think the issues changed a lot. So um, it may make them a little less effective because they're, uh, you know, they're not as well-resourced as they used to be. I'm sure there's some people who might have thought of giving them money now who won't. Um, But, you know, they'll still have a political program.
0: Right. And and far more than the impact of the NRA is the impact of this pandemic. I mean, it's hard to overstate the extent to which it has changed the way a traditional presidential campaign is run, I mean, beginning with the example that I gave at the top there of being able to do face-to-face campaigning, to be able to have door-to-door conversations with voters. What is your opinion of that strategy right now by the Biden campaign to basically say that they're taking the the coronavirus pandemic seriously and of course um for that reason they are not going to be doing door-to-door canvassing
1: well i think it's still an open question whether there'll be some door-to-door canvassing in the in september and october and the first couple of days in november i think they're they'll be looking at that every day, it's a day-by-day decision. The thing I'd say is, you know, you you want to meet voters where they are, and right now, there's a lot of voters that don't want to open their door, that don't want to have a conversation with a stranger. So I think, listen, I wrote about this in my book, I started in politics as a door-to-door canvasser. I believe it is, and there's there's political science, uh, you know, galore that backed us up, it is the most effective conversation in politics, another human being looking at another human being in the eye. Mm-hmm. But, Um, You know, people have to be open to that Uh, and right now, you know, the Trump campaign can say um, they knocked on a million doors. I think it's the quality here that matters, not the quantity. And my suspicion is uh, not terribly effective nor efficient. So the Biden campaign needs to be prepared to run an entirely virtual campaign all the way through. Um, but they also need to be prepared, You know whether that's Joe Biden and his running mate beginning to spend a little more more time outside of the Delaware, or Philadelphia area, uh, when that becomes possible uh, and doing you know campaign travel, you're not gonna have big rallies, but you're still gonna wanna be in those states uh, again, but they're gonna listen to the public health experts. Uh, door knocking is only effective if people are A, willing to do it and B, the people who are the recipient of that knock are excited to see you and excited to have a conversation. So at this point, um, yeah, it's incredibly strange. Um, You know, you basically have to, I mean, there's some things that haven't changed, you know, what are the battleground states? How many votes do you need to win? What's your core message? You know, have a good convention, do well in the debates. That's the same as, you know, every presidential election in modern times. But the interaction with voters, the voter registration, um, the GOTV, you're obviously going to have to do an enormous amount of education around vote by mail for people who haven't done it before. The lack of door knocking, uh, you, you, you know, it is almost 180 degrees different in that respect. Mm-hmm. So that's a big challenge, both for the Biden campaign, but also the Trump campaign. So, you know, they are an incumbent. I mean, I remember, you know, back in the late uh, part of 19 and beginning of 20 before the pandemic hits, you know, they were doing on the ground Trump organizing events, not with Trump, but with people like Laura Trump and Kimberly Guilfoyle. Okay, so these are B-listers and, you know, in places like Grand Rapids, Michigan and Henderson, Nevada, and they were getting hundreds of people to show up. It actually scared me. Um, So, you know, they're also paying a price for not being able to fully leverage uh, the in-person campaigning that they had spent three years building towards.
0: So then what would be your advice to the Biden campaign? I mean, are you advising them? Actually, I just realized I should ask you that.
1: Not not uh, formally. I have a lot of uh, f- you know, friends and former colleagues there. So I talk to them uh, whenever they would like to talk to me and I give what advice, uh, you know, it's probably what they're paying for, which is nothing. But uh, you know, but uh, so I'm not, I, I have no former role of the Biden campaign.
0: So they're, do- they're trying to do phone calls, texts, you know, a lot of other forms of digital organizing. Do you think that like how would you advise them to do that as effectively as possible
1: well they've brought in a lot of great talent um some from the private sector since they became the nominee they've also brought in folks from all the campaigns bernie sanders campaign Pete Buttigieg's campaign elizabeth warren's campaign uh, so i think they've really beefed up their talent but so first of all put power in people's hands so anybody out there who's for joe biden um the last thing they should say is, what's the Biden campaign doing today? It's like, what am I doing today? You know, uh, you know. I had a conversation with my wife last night where we're going through all the states uh, that are battlegrounds and who do we know there, and we should reach out to people because a lot of people are going to be voting by mail for the first time. So you got to reach out to your own friends, your own family members, and make sure they ask for the uh, ballot if they have to request it. Um, do they understand the rules? Some states require postage, some don't. Some states require the ballot to be postmarked by election day. Others require it to be in, you know, in California, you know, you have to sign the, Envelope, so uh, we all need to take ownership of this. So that's the most important thing: give people the tools they need to be effective. But phone calls can be effective, and, and phone call rates are up. People are answering phones more than they did pre-pandemic. Uh, being on social media, sharing information, fighting back against Trump lies. Uh, you know, creating your own content: uh, a video or a piece of writing or your child's poster about the election. Um, postcards are a really great way to reach out to voters in states, and there's a lot of great postcard. Uh, activity, uh, You know, peer-to-peer texting is another way. We saw a lot of that during the primaries uh, back in, in February and March. You'll see more of that uh, here in the close. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then prepare, like if there's a state where the case load is down and you think it's safe to go door-knocking, then you need to prepare to do that. So this is, you know, running a presidential campaign is, is really challenging um, when you only have one scenario to plan for. So, so, you know, if you're the Biden campaign, you basically have three. One is we're all virtual all the way in. Uh, The second is um, we're able to really pepper in some in-person, both campaign events with Vice President Biden and his running mate and other surrogates like the Obamas uh, uh, and some door knocking. Or maybe it's gonna be in some states, it's all virtual in other states it's not. So it's super complicated, but I think their number one principle is we're not gonna make that decision independently from health experts. We're basically gonna give the decision to them and when we are told uh, to stay virtual, we're going to stay virtual. Uh, you know, Vice President Biden was planning to go to Milwaukee, uh, where the convention was going to be held, and he was going to give his expe- acceptance speech in Milwaukee. They announced yesterday he's going to do it in Wilmington. Why? Public health experts just thought it was too dangerous, both for him but but everybody around that. Now you see today, I don't know if you've seen this, uh, you know, Trump's going to Ohio And the governor of Ohio, Mike DeWine, just this morning got a positive COVID-19 test. Uh, So he's got to go quarantine for for two weeks. So um, this whole thing is, uh, what's most important obviously is the health and economic impacts to the American people. But from an election standpoint, uh, it's incredibly complex. Uh, And you have to be really good at scenario planning, really good about moving quickly. Um, And I think the Trump campaign, you know, doesn't listen to health experts. So they're making, uh, you know, a bunch of independent decisions, usually from my standpoint, bad decisions, endangering people. Um, And I think they'll continue to do that. But I think the Biden campaign has been smart about not feeling pressure to respond in kind. So um, you know, they're going to run a more cautious campaign. I don't think that means a less effective campaign. uh, But it does mean you need to get all you can uh, out of people's digital organizing because that may be all we have.
0: Mm -hmm. You've laid a lot out there in terms of how the campaign needs to change for the pandemic and how you think it's doing in terms of those adjustments but also you laid out a lot in terms of how we as as voters need to change as well um, when you were talking about how we are, you know, trying to think about what we could do that would be effective to help out other states. For example, California has a lot of experience with vote by mail. Maybe you know you could be helping out family members in other states who might be new to this and so on. Uh, and that you really lay out in your book, A Citizen's Guide to Beating Donald Trump. I'm curious uh, if you could just say a little bit more about the role of social media. I mean, one of the things that you really focus on is how it is not just an important part of the campaign now, but it is the campaign, and one of the things that I feel like has happened is that, for better or for worse, uh, President Trump has has a massive presence on social media, and uh, the Biden campaign is is probably behind in that. So, what is your advice around that for people who support Biden?
1: Yeah, well, it's a great question, and I, you know, I wrote uh, the bulk of of the book in the fall of nineteen, so that was pre. Uh, pandemic. Uh, But I I wrote back then that, you know, yeah, digital and social media is not part of the campaign. It is the campaign. It is the new public square. And, you know, uh, I wrote in the book that I understand a lot of people hesitate. Maybe they were on social media and they got off because they didn't like the toxicity. If you want to be in this campaign, you got to be where the action is. And the action is on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat and YouTube. You just have to be there. Uh, and if you want to get off after the election, that's your decision, but you need to be in the fight. So first of all, yes, Biden um, you know, has a, a lot fewer Twitter followers, uh, really trails Trump in terms of Facebook and Instagram engagement, uh, even on Snapchat. So they're making progress there. Um, you know, Trump's had five to six years to build that up. So I think what Biden needs, he's never going to catch Trump. So that means all of us. Now, you might see Barack Obama, you know, uh, usually at least once a week you know, on Facebook and Twitter and uh, and Instagram, I think, uh, you know, we'll just repost something Joe Biden uh, or his campaign put out. Uh, We need to see more people with big following do that, right? That's one way to get reach. You don't necessarily have to get the same audience that Trump has uh, if you can kind of uh, put it together with folks. But then we all come in. So for us, yes, if you're in California and you have relatives or family members or friends that you know and by the way, this would go for anybody who's also for Trump, right? But I'm gonna talk it from a Biden standpoint. Um, you know, you've got a sister in Florida, as I happen to have. You know, you have a, uh, uh, an old college roommate, um, you know, in Wisconsin. Um, your aunt lives in Pennsylvania. You need to be talking to them now. Have you requested your absentee ballot? Do you know how to fill it in? The day they get their ballot, be in touch with them. Say, fill it out. Do you know the rules? Let's go over the rules. And by the way, some of your acquaintances will get annoyed with you, uh, but that's okay. Like, just be on people. Uh, And then you need to be in the content game. And what do I mean by content? If you see Joe Biden has a good advertisement, um, I... Uh, tweeted out his latest advertisement in Florida last night, which I thought was really great, um, aimed at uh, senior citizens where he's doing particularly well right now. Uh, If you see an interview clip from Biden, if you see a meme, if you see, um, you know, uh, an op-ed article you like, post that. Um, And if you see something Trump saying that you know is a lie, even though your aunt Ivanka and Uncle Jared will never believe it's a lie, you know, you should say that's just not true. Here's the fact. You know, you gotta be in the game. Uh, I think the biggest piece of this is making people more excited about Joe Biden. So I think a lot of us, when we think about our social media activity as it relates to politics, those of us who are progressives, you know, we spend 90% of the time, if not more, on just outrage at Trump and it's easy to do because five times a day there's something that, you know, you just can't believe he's doing or saying. But the biggest picture here that needs to be filled in is who is Joe Biden? What's he going to do? What are his health care plans? you know let's make sure people understand the VP and uh, you know the talent they're going to bring to the country? All that's critical. so you yes, that is the campaign. The campaign mm. is on your iPad, it's on your phone, it's on your computer, and that's where you need to engage.
0: So then what do you think of people who say that Biden's best campaign ad so far is President Trump in the Axios interview saying it is what it is with regard to yeah. the. US death rate?
1: Well, there's no doubt. Listen, Trump um, has started to do more interviews. So, uh, you know, you might recall a couple of weeks ago, there was a change in his campaign leadership. So I don't know if this is coming out of that, which is we need to put Trump out there more. Let Trump be Trump. I mean, he's hurting his cause. You know, back in 1980, when Ronald Reagan beat Jimmy Carter, um, there was a view of those involved in both campaigns. that at some point, people just started to tune out Carter. Um, they had made their decision that if Reagan, you know, kind of crossed some low bar, they were gonna vote against Carter. I think you have voters who've both tuned Trump out, but for those that are still interested, he's harming himself. So yeah, you gotta understand when your opponent's doing damage, that's a great thing. But Joe Biden, um, those of us, I mean, you know Joe Biden really well, you probably know his story. Uh, you know, his career, you know, the issues he's worked on, the voters that will decide this election don't, right? So there's a lot of blanks that need to be filled in about his background and his biography and kind of what animates him and what he's going to do as president. I think that's probably the most important thing because elections are about the past, not the future. And that'll be a test for Joe Biden in debates. Um, sure sort of Trump is going to try and get Joe Biden to defend everything he's ever done or said. And if Joe Biden spends, you know, too much time in that debate defending some vote from 1986, as opposed to telling people what he's going to do for them in 2026, he's making a mistake. But yeah, Trump right now is helping Biden, there's no question about that. Um, I mean, Trump, that, that Axios interview, uh, I'm sure 100 years from now, if we're still all around, the planet, uh, will be studied uh, as just a, it was a catastrophic failure, as was the Chris Wallace interview that preceded it. Um, even in his Fox interview, this is the, the one you're talking about, uh, it actually, where he said, it is what it is, was on Fox, okay? Uh, so he had a terrible interview on Fox yesterday, which is kind of his happy place. So he's not helping himself. Uh, he can't do rallies. I think that frustrates him. So um, you know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, what his convention speech is. I think the the question is is it what you should do, which is make a case to the middle of the electorate, talk about your record, talk about, yeah, I may be an SOB, but I'm I'm the tough I'm tough enough to kind of dig us out of this. Or do you just go, is it like the you know, the third and fourth hour of Sean Hannity's show? That's the question. Um, and conventions are completely in your control. It's, it's not even like an interview, like you just give the speech you wanna give. And you have the speakers you want to give. It's actually one of the easier things you do in politics. So if they screw that up, you know, and miss one of their last opportunities, I think, to really mm. reset the race. So, so I'm going to be I'm, I'm obviously very interested in the Democratic convention, but I'm like 50 times more interested in the Republican convention. And what is their strategy and, and what are they trying to get out of it?
0: Well, if he said it again on Fox, and I think that that was really problematic. I know he did say also on Fox something that finally social media companies are are challenging and and punishing him for, which is false statements about children related to COVID nineteen, and we're seeing you know Twitter saying that he had to take things down before they could allow him to tweet again, and Facebook also telling him to. Facebook also removing those kinds of posts. But um, I want to invite our listeners to join this conversation. We're talking with Democratic strategist David Plouffe about uh, Joe Biden's 2020 campaign. He was the former campaign manager for Barack Obama's 2008 presidential campaign. His book is A Citizen's Guide to Beating Donald Trump. And if you have questions or comments, give us a call, 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, email us at forum at KQ WD.org. Bill asks, do you think Biden erred in disclosing so early he'd choose a woman for vice president?
1: No, I thought that was a great moment. I mean, um, I think at that stage of the race, Biden was starting um, to emerge as the front runner. Um...
0: David Bluff, Yes, yeah, so I you think you might about? have gone out just a touch there.
1: Uh, Yeah, no, I thought it was a great moment in the campaign. So I will say this, I've gone through this process before. So it's really arduous to identify the first group of 24 people you're interested in and all the vetting and all the conversations. So first of all, you know, he, he really defined it to women, which I think, listen, that's clearly where his heart was. And I thought that was great because he didn't dodge that question at all. He just answered it. Um, And clearly that's where he wanted to go anyway. So why dodge? Just state clearly that's what you're going to do. And, you know, I think I will say this. I know a lot of your listeners are interested in who he's going to pick as it relates to the campaign. But this is going to be 90 to 95 percent for Joe Biden, a choice about the White House, not about the campaign trail. You know, history shows that the VP just does not make a big difference in the campaign.
0: Wow, well, we'll talk more about that after the break. Again, we're talking with David Pluff, Democratic strategist about election 2020. Stay with us with more of your questions and comments coming up. I'm Mina Kim, this is Forum. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're discussing the 2020 election and the latest political news with David Plouffe, Democratic strategist and former campaign manager for Barack Obama. His new book is A Citizen's Guide to Beating Donald Trump. You, our listeners, are also with us. Give us a call with your questions, concerns, thoughts about the election, hopes, is the number to call. Again, 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter and Facebook at KQED Forum or email your questions to forum at kqed.org. Just before the break, David Plouffe, we were talking about uh, Biden's decision on a VP. And you were saying it just really isn't that important. I mean, you were, of course, part of the decision to make Biden Obama's running mate. So, Okay, maybe it's not like the end-all, be-all, but what do you think Biden needs in a VP this time well, I around? Mean,
1: it, yeah, right. It's critical for governing, uh, given what Joe Biden will inherit if he wins. Uh, you know, uh, uh, climate change needing to rally the world to fight climate change and uh, disease and future pandemics, and uh, given distribution his age? of effects
0: Right, <laughs> the and, and, and so. Important.
1: Right. So, so, you know, this, this job was once referred to the vice presidency as a warm bucket of spit. It's not that anymore. It's somebody that you need to trust to engage on the world stage for you. Uh, to give important duties as it relates to negotiating with Congress. You give them special projects. Joe Biden was given by Barack Obama the job of executing the Recovery Act day-to-day. So it's incredibly important. And to your point, if something were to happen to Joe Biden, that's the threshold. Could this person take over in day one and be a great president? So it couldn't be more important for after November 3rd. Just in the campaign, history shows that it's really about the two people at the top of the ticket. And if you make a mistake as McCain did with Sarah Palin. George H.W. W. Bush won the race, but he made a mistake with Dan Quayle. It can hurt you. So for Biden, he just has to pick somebody that everybody, whether it's somebody who's working 40 hours a week for him as a volunteer or a swing voter says, you know what, that person could be president. Then he's hit that threshold. Then from the campaign, the most important thing is, this: is this somebody who can handle Mike Pence in the debate? That's the most important thing this person will do. They'll give a convention speech, and that's important, but speeches are much easier than debates because you know, you're know you kind of shooting free-throughs as opposed to being in a boxing ring. And so uh, you don't want someone to energize the base and help raise money and all that, but all of the candidates would probably do that. So this is about, Joe Biden will say, when I have one of my worst days as president, who do I want down the hall as my VP? And I think that will uh, drive the decision. And Biden is a very instinctual human being. The, the feel, the chemistry, the trust with is going to be the most important thing. I think that'll be more important than resume um, uh, will be that feel. Is this somebody that I can get along with? Not that they will not challenge me but somebody that I will enjoy being with for four or eight years um, and I will get value out of. So I think most of the news coverage is about what it means to the campaign when I think most of the Mm. decision, even Donald Trump, okay, he of all people, Um, You know, pick Pence more because it sent a signal he'd be serious about governing and knew if he won, he'd have to have somebody who knew what the hell they were doing. Uh, You know, George W. Bush picked Dick Cheney. That clearly wasn't about the campaign, first and foremost. So I think it really is. And when we picked Joe Biden, you know, one of the main drivers there. And it's another reason why Barack Obama really pressed Hillary Clinton to become his secretary of state was given the recession uh, that he was inheriting. He knew he was going to have to spend Uh, even more time at home uh, than abroad. And so he needed a vice president and a secretary of state that could handle big books of business on the global stage. So that also might be a factor for Joe Biden, because he's going to have a lot to deal with here at home. uh, And his ability uh, to probably put as much time into foreign policy as he likes is going to be a little bit challenged in the first couple of years.
0: So who do you think he should pick?
1: you know it's going to sound like a dodge it's not this is his decision what i think doesn't matter listen i was a very close advisor to to Barack Obama even when he ran for the US senate david axerrod you know my my partner was as well it was probably the time in our journey with barack obama that he was least interested in what we had to say and he was pretty clear about that say i'm happy to listen to you guys but this is my decision i have to live with this Aww. i'm going to be expecting like big things out of this person so the only person who can answer that question is Joe Biden. I just—I don't think he will. The only mistake would be to take a flyer on somebody who people are like, mm, I'm not sure if that person's ready to be president. So um, I think of the final list as it's reported, I don't think anybody would uh, be at risk there. But that would be no surprises here. I, I would play it relatively safe.
0: Well, let me go to Jessica in San Francisco. Hi, Jessica. Hi, good afternoon. I've, oh, good morning. Um, I'm very interested in hearing Mr. Plus views on on why Joe Biden should actually engage in any debates with President Trump. Uh, Trump seems to have everything to gain and Biden seems to have everything to lose by doing so. And thank you very much. Yeah, Jessica, thanks. Should uh, Biden debate Trump?
1: Well, Jessica, it's a a good question. Um, So I guess, you know, others may have different views. My, my, um, you know, approach to politics was, um, particularly when you're doing well, you gotta press even harder. Like you just don't want to assume anything. So Joe Biden has a lead right now, but we've never had an election in a pandemic. We don't know how many votes won't count on election day because people mistakenly filled out their absentee ballots. I think this race will close um, and we'll get closer. So you, you, you know, in, in track and field, there's an expression, you just gotta run through the tape. Uh, Joe Biden has to run through the tape uh, and, and there's no shortcuts here. Secondly, um, you know, because of the campaign Trump's running against Biden, which at its core is um, he's senile, he's not up to this, uh, you know, he'll be a disaster because he's too old and mentally unfit. Uh, he's got a debate because honestly, now if Joe Biden just shows up on the stage and puts some sentences together, it'll be better than what Trump is suggesting he'll do. And I think he'll do much better than that. Um, I think there's a chance Joe Biden could do really well in these debates. Um, I also think, you know, these are really unique times. We have uh, you know, racial unrest. We have a health care pandemic. We have an economy that's on the verge of de- depression, but certainly will be in serious recession. We only have a few years left to bend the curve on climate change. I think the American people deserve uh, to hear from both of these people um, because one of them is going to hopefully um, solve a lot of those problems for us, at least get us a lot of the way there. So I think he has to debate. I think if Joe Biden didn't debate and look like, oh, I'm in the lead, I'm going to play it safe, I think some of the questions that are being raised listen, I've seen research, meaning uh, focus groups with swing voters in some battleground states. They see this stuff in their Facebook, um, you know, feeds from their family members to the last discussion we had in the previous segment. And people say, I I worry about that. I wonder about that. So I think he's got to show up. I think he's got to be strong. I will tell you this, you know, I helped prepare Joe Biden, uh, you know, along with a a great team of folks for both his debate against Joe Palin, uh, Sarah Palin and Paul Ryan both of those were tough debates and Joe Biden did really well on both of them. So he's shown the ability in a one-on-one debate with a Republican to be quite strong. I think some of the primary debates, he struggled with um, you know, the big candidate field yes. um, for a while. He was the front runner, so he was getting attacked. So he's got a debate. Uh, doesn't mean he's gonna be flawless. I think all of us who want him to win, should know that you never are flawless in a debate. But let's look at the upside here, which is if he has a good first debate, uh, given all the things Trump has said, he might cement this race. So to me, the most important day left in the campaign is that first debate at the end of September.
0: Well, let me go next to Lori and Davis. Hi, Lori. Yeah, thanks so much. I love these political conversations. <laughs> uh, at any rate, my question is, I am swamped with emails every day uh, asking for funds for different candidates and different causes, and I'm a little overwhelmed. I try to give something, but it's overwhelming. I'm wondering, are there is there any place we could get statistics about which candidate is needing the money more, where it might make the most difference, or do I just give the bulk of my funds to overarching organizations like the DNC or DCCC and figure they know the stats and know where to give the money? Laurie, thanks. Laurie,
1: that's a great question. Uh, You know, I I get bombarded by those as well. So my advice to people is... uh, is, is as best possible you know kind of make your own plan and budget say okay for the rest of 2020 I'm going to give 250 dollars and I want to give some of it to Biden I really care about winning back the Senate and I really like um, you know Mark Kelly who's running in Arizona right or Sarah Gidon who's running in Susa Collins uh, and then there's two or three vulnerable House uh, Democrats in California who won an 18 I want to give so as much as possible I would make your own plan so that you're not um, giving in response to emails. So so that, I really encourage people to do that. Um, th- there should be that kind of data, there's not in terms of what's most effective. So again, I would let your passion speak to that. Uh, If you really care about voter registration, uh, there's some great groups out there working on that. If you care about voter protection, uh, Stacey Abrams Group Fair Fight's working on that. Um, I'm involved with a group called Acronym that's doing some great work to younger voters, uh, encouraging them to vote. Uh, If you care about the House, give there. Um, uh, Yes, if you give to the DCCC uh, or the DSEC, they're the experts of House and Senate races and they spend a lot of money in advertising and voter contact on behalf of those candidates. Um, I always encourage people though, Like, you know, it feels good to give to a candidate. So if there's somebody that really um, speaks to you, that you're passionate about, give to them. Um, and they'll put the money to best use because it's closest to the source. So I apologize for all the meals. It's a mess, and they've gotten worse and worse because they treat literally like the world's going to end tomorrow if you don't give another $20, um, and that's kind of silly. So as best as possible, i just make your own plan again. How much can you give and give some thought to where you want to give. I was just talking to somebody I ran into on the street yesterday about this in terms of Senate races. Um, should he give to 12 or should he give to 6? And I'm like, well, which like who do you really like? Let's start there, and so um, that um, is my best answer there. Uh, and again, I apologize for all the emails; they can get uh, they can get uh, toxic and crazy here at the end.
0: Well, Lori, thanks for the question, and glad you're enjoying the conversation. This listener tweets: How do Democrats deal with people who refuse to vote for Joe Biden because he's not progressive enough?
1: Well, so. You know, the best part of any communication, whether it's political organizing or I would I would guess relationships or business, too, is listening. So if somebody says, you know what, I don't like Trump, but I just don't know if I can vote for Biden. He's not progressive enough or he's too old or I was for Bernie Sanders. You know, try and draw from them. What, what issues do you really care about? Um, and then you can say, well, you know, yeah, m- maybe Joe Biden um, isn't for Medicare for all, but he is for a public option, you know, 20 to 25 more pe- more million people would get health care on climate change. Clearly, his agenda would be very similar to the most progressives. This is the most progressive platform any Democratic president's ever run on, including Barack Obama. So it starts with listening. Um, and I always, you know, because uh, I do have some conversations like this with people, and it's like, just imagine. So these are people who don't want Trump. It's like it's November 3rd. Uh, or November 4th or November 14th or whenever we find out who wins the election and Donald Trump's been re-elected. How are you going to feel about that? You're going to feel better about the next four years? And almost uh, universally, they say no. So right now, Joe Biden is the vessel to get rid of Donald Trump. But I also think you have to educate people about Joe Biden and what his platform is uh, because it is very progressive. I think uh, even the most progressive members of the Democratic Party would be happy if, after four or eight years, a lot of what Joe Biden's talking about gets done. So listen to them, say you understand. The last thing you should do in 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 conversations with someone who's has who says Joe Biden's not progressive enough, or you know I'm just not going to vote. I don't think it matters. Is don't go into some lecture. You know, you, you just you want to listen to people, and try and if you can get them to a place of openness. Um, And also, I'd say, like, let's say you have a conversation with someone like that, and they commit to you that they're going to vote. When they get that absentee ballot or if they're planning to vote in person, when they think about, well, I'm not sure I'm going to vote, you know, they're not going to think about Joe Biden. They're going to think about you. You know, they made a commitment to you. And that's an incredibly powerful thing, that human connection. So, um, but all of us should be, um, have our antenna way up, because there are people who are going to say that he's not progressive enough, or I think they're all corrupt. Or Joe Biden's got a big lead, so it doesn't matter if I vote. And I would treat every one of those conversations as importantly as a wedding proposal, as importantly as a job interview. <laughs> uh, because, uh, you know, if you believe that Donald Trump uh, is a threat to the entire enterprise, I happen to believe he is, then we all have a responsibility. There's no doubt that Joe Biden and his campaign have the ultimate responsibility, but we all have a responsibility uh, to be uh, mindful of anybody out there who could be a vote for Joe Biden that's at risk of not casting it
0: you talk about how you might feel on november 3rd because you wrote a lot about how you felt on in november of 2016 and and how wrong you were about trump winning in 2016. i mean many people were but you're a political strategist who pretty much is right about these kinds of things so you talk about how much of a blow that was but given everything you're just saying what do you worry could be the biggest miscalculation that's made in this election even with Joe Biden's, say, very healthy poll numbers at this point?
1: Well, Mina, that, that is the question. I think whether you're in a political campaign or a business, um, you, you know, uh, particularly when you're doing well, you don't want to sit there and luxuriate in that. You want to think through, how could this go sideways? How could we lose? And I think the following things uh, are worth keeping in mind. One, We just came through some primaries in June in in some states that traditionally don't have a high vote-by-mail population, New Jersey, New York. And a lot of ballots got spoiled. I believe in some of those states, it's 6 to 8% of the ballots that were cast don't count because people made mistakes. Uh, My understanding is the data of first-time voters, which tend to be younger voters, is over 10% so if we head into the election day and we've got states where you know three to five to six percent of the people voting by mail um intend to vote for joe biden and other democrats and they make a mistake on their ballot um that could cost them the election number one number two there's gonna be a bunch of people who decide that they're not going to vote by mail they're going to vote in person um including democrats these are not just trump voters and you know let's say get things get really bad with the pandemic in the last couple weeks of october but those people didn't request an absentee ballot in states where you have to do that. They may not show up on election day because they understandably are worried about their safety. That's a concern. Um, the polls right now. So let's say there's a poll in a state like Wisconsin or Arizona or North Carolina that shows Joe Biden up 48-41. Well, that's better than being down 48-41. The question is that's, 87%, that's 89% of the electorate. What's going to happen to the, ele- the other 11%? And most of those folks that are saying they're undecided right now lean more conservative than liberal. Mm-hmm. So that a bunch of those voters are going to come home to Trump. Um, and, you know, the battleground states are Joe Biden right now. It's hard to see how he'd lose the popular vote. But as we know, that doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. It's the Electoral College. And Trump is going to overperform in some of these battleground states uh, because he. I think they are going to register and have registered. Uh, and will turn out a lot of base Trump voters that didn't vote in 16 and 18. So you put all that together, listen, there's a chance, I want to be clear. It may be that Joe Biden has a good first debate, you know, the pandemic doesn't get any better, may it get worse, it means the economy gets worse, uh, and Trump gets blown out. Like That is a possibility. Um, but we should put that out of our minds if we want to see Joe Biden win and assume that there's a bunch of other things that could happen here that make it close. Uh, and we should... Be cautious for no other reason than, you know, the last time there was an election in a pandemic was 1918, a long time ago. Uh, you know, didn't have uh, technology like we do today, but that was also not a presidential race. So this is a presidential race. It's the first time we've ever had one in a pandemic. And there's a lot we don't know. And I think we should all be on guard because of that. Um, and the other thing I just say, clearly Trump will do anything. Now, I think a lot of the things he's doing now hurt him. But, you know, he's going to press any lever. He's going to call in any favor. You've got foreign governments all around the world who love having a weak, buffoonish American president. So there's going to be a lot of misinformation and a lot of malfeasance. Um, And, uh, you know, you see this Kanye West thing that's going on right now. Now it's linked back to, you know, Republican operatives. I'm sure we'll find it's linked to the White House. So, you know, he's not going down without a fight. Again, Joe Biden is in a really, really enviable political position right now. Uh, but um, there's a lot of things that could happen that make it closer than, than uh, for comfort.
0: Well, this listener writes, I suggest people fill out, sign and seal their ballot, but then deliver it to the polling place. Do not mail it due to post office delays. That will ensure it is there on time and counted. Will it ensure that it's there on time and counted? Uh, I know that there have been some efforts by uh, Trump surrogates to suggest that that uh, delivering it that day, or if it's not, if it's postmarked, but not received on that day, that, uh, that it could be a sign of voter fraud?
1: Right. Well, you know, states all have rules on this, right? So California, Arizona, um, many others, it just has to be postmarked by election day. Uh, There was a lawsuit uh, that just got settled earlier this week in Minnesota, where the Republicans uh, were trying uh, to make it so that uh, if it wasn't received by election day, it wouldn't count. So right. we, the Democrats won that lawsuit. So I think one, I think the safer thing would just be like, make sure your absentee ballot, you, you the day you get it, <laughs> you fill it out, you triple check that you've done everything right. You know, if it requires postage, depending on your state, you know, where you have to sign, you filled in your ballot choice correctly um, and send it in because that is well in advance of the election. You know, if it's November, the, you know, uh, October 31st or November 1st and you haven't done it, then it may make sense to take it in. Um, So I would.
0: um, Well, that's what a lot of Californians do for sure, is drop it off at the polling place on election day. Well,
1: they do. Well, like and we saw in March a lot did that because they wanted to wait and see how the Democratic primary unfolded. Right. Uh, This is different than that. But, yeah, I would I would just take great care yourself and with everybody in your network, share every information you can about absentee ballots, because. For folks who haven't voted before, never voted by mail, um, you know, they get this envelope and it can be pretty intimidating. Um, And again, we can't afford any mistakes. Uh, and so we as individuals and then collectively as, as, as educators need to, to be responsible. Uh, but for folks who wanted, I, I don't listen. If somebody wants to vote on election day um, and they feel strongly about it, uh, you know, obviously we care about their safety. And so there's some people who have health conditions or, uh, you know, the elderly maybe shouldn't do that. But, you know, then you know your vote counts. So, like, I wouldn't dissuade people from doing that. um, But it's easier if you vote by mail, you vote by mail early, you vote by mail accurately. That also frees you up on Election Day if you want to be making phone calls for GOTV or serving as a poll worker. Incredibly important that people consider doing that because there's a lot of people, uh, older folks, who traditionally do it, who won't do it this year, understandably. So we've got to have a lot of people play that role, too.
0: Well, let me go to caller Camille in Berkeley. Hi, Camille. Uh, good morning, and I'm glad to have the opportunity to uh, express my opinion or, or say something.
1: Uh, it's Cameo from Berkeley, and I want to ask the guests that I, as an African-American woman, uh, knew that our community, as African-American community throughout the nation, really supported and enabled uh, the nominee of as President presidency, Biden to uh, move to a, an area where he is, on the number one for presidency. My question to you, sir, is could you explain to me a little bit more of the several African-American nominees that uh, Biden perhaps may choose and that the qualifications that each nominee has and how that would fit into the uh, vice presidency?
0: Uh, Camille, thanks. Uh, To the best you can, David Plough, in the time that we have.
1: Well, I think it's, it's again, I, I'll go back to what I said previously. This will be less about resume and more about chemistry, comfort level, trust. Um, I think um, the folks that right now are reported to be on the short list, whether you're Kamala Harris, um, Susan Rice, Karen Bass, uh, so two of those, uh, you know, from California, Val Demings, congresswoman from Florida. Um, you know, these are all people who bring, uh, I think, good personal stories Good records of accomplishment. Um, they're tough. Uh, I think they would be very capable executors as VP, so someone to give advice. But at the end of the day, the president makes a decision. You need to go implement that. And Biden's going to need a vice president who can take on big pieces of business for him, with Congress, with world leaders, uh, with business leaders, um, and so oversee various elements of execution. I think they'd all bring that. So I do think. Listen, um, if Joe Biden doesn't pick an African American woman. I think it's because he knows that there's going to be criticism of that, that, that there's going to be some people who feel really disappointed by that. And I understand that. But it means whoever he picked, he just thought there was such a delta between that person and everybody else, no matter their race, that this is the person I need uh, by my side. Uh, but I think, I think um, you know, that will be a challenge politically to navigate that, because I do think there's a lot of African-American voters who know Joe Biden's only there. Um, because of their support. Uh, yes. And, you know, I just mentioned some of the women, they're all super talented. So it's not like you don't have people who are talented and, and, and capable uh, and, and, and very, very good selection. So uh, we'll know soon enough.
0: Well, let me read a couple more just thoughts on VP because we have quite a few coming in from listeners. Jorge writes, I would have to disagree about the VP not being so important. I think we're underestimating how important the VP pick will be for Biden, especially with younger voters. Also, given Biden's age, Thomas writes, in the last presidential election, a number of conservative voters I know c- couldn't stand Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. Wondering if Susan Rice would be a big plus for him because of her publicized disagreements with Hillary Clinton. And Xenia writes, Why are we hearing so little from Biden on reversing some of the horrific legislative decisions that Trump made just to spite Obama? For example, reversing emission standards that even automakers disagree with. Why doesn't Biden hammer on obvious lies, Trump tells on a daily basis. Biden seems asleep at the switch and is making a lot of us worried. I mean, David Pluff Biden in the basement, of course, has been something that's been <laughs> tossed around as well. Does Xenia have a point here?
1: Well, I think, so, you know, uh, in the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, gave a major economic speech on uh, build back better, a buy American really important, uh, you know, policy around home health care, which got a lot of attention, by the way, maybe not from the political media, but by real human beings out there that this is a big issue for, Um, gave a really important address on climate change, including uh, talking about some of what Trump did with executive actions, what he'd roll back. Um, I think one of the challenges about this is, you know, traditional campaign at this point, you know, Joe Biden would be doing six stops a day, you know, different time zones, you know, you're, you're covered live six times a day, like, you know, you really have to make each moment count. So that is something uh, that has to be done between now and when people start voting at the beginning of October is on things like climate change, on things like healthcare, on things like education. Yes, the pandemic's the big thing. But uh, there's other issues that motivate people. So um, they have to do that. And some of that can be done by advertising, um, but some of it's going to have to be done by Biden. So on the VP, yes, I understand Biden's VP might be helpful to get people more energized. But at the end of the day, this history shows us, political science shows us, my personal experience shows us, it's about the two people at the top of the ticket. So you want someone who's as helpful as they can be in the campaign. Has a great debate with Pence. Um, you know, is really good at fundraising. Is really good about motivating volunteers. Uh, you know, maybe takes the fight to Trump uh, a little bit more directly. But um, you know, this is mostly a governing pick. Susan Rice. You know, I work closely with her. I think the world over. I think she'd be a very good VP um, uh, for sure. Um, but again, I think we have Joe Biden has an embarrassment of riches here. Uh, Hmm. Even though he said, I'm only picking a woman, um, he still has, you know, he started with probably 15 to 20 people uh, that, that are exciting. Because you think they'd be great vice presidents, an asset, not just to the ticket, to to the country. So, uh, you know, it's um, but I will tell you, just lastly, this is challenging for a campaign because it's hard enough to run a campaign when you have one principal <laughs> and, you know, one team. Now you're going to pick somebody and they've got to insert them in here uh, in the 11th hour. And there's a lot of good that comes with that, but it's a lot of challenge. So that's another part where chemistry comes in, because all the people he's talking about with the exception of Susan Rice, you know, have won races on their own, but this is Joe Biden's campaign, not their campaign. And they have to basically put a lot of what they have done aside and just say, tell me what to do, where to go, what to say, what your positions are, because they have to faithfully execute that. So uh, that's an interesting dynamic to watch as well.
0: Well, we just have 30 seconds, but where will you be on election night?
1: Well, I will if uh, if MSNBC has their studio open for people like me. I'll be in New York. Uh, if not, I'll be in the Bay Area with my family. Um, not ordering from the same
0: uh, barbecue no. joint that you ordered from in twenty sixteen. We I will do
1: everything different. Everything different that we did. You're pretty 16. suspicious. I mean That's superstitious. I am
0: David Bluff. deeply. Yes. <laughs> David Plouffe, Democratic strategist. His new book is a citizen's guide to beating Donald Trump. Thanks so much for talking with us today.
1: Thanks for having me,
0: Nina. Jameson Weiss produced today's segment. I'm Nina Kim. Thanks to our listeners for their questions and comments, and thanks for listening. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation.